Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is standing for re-election. I'm Motley Fool CEO Scott Phillips and I'm joined by the founder and managing director, plus former fool, of strawman.com, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Very well. Yes, ready to dish out a bunch of cash in a... Uh, <laughs> Grab it's handout season. It's handout season. <laughs> Andrew Ram Page, as I should say, or Andrew Rant Page, as uh, some of the listeners have, have uh, deigned to call you. I'm going to suggest that perhaps uh, there might be a little bit of that coming, but just we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Maybe we've got a, a foolish docket, a bit of macro to get through. Uh, important macro, though. We're going to talk about the budget. We're going to do our level best to make it as apolitical as possible and stick with the policy and implications. Um, we will talk about things like inflation and wage rises because they're on the board again. Uh, an ambit claim being made this morning in the news. We're recording this on Thursday morning, the 31st. Speaking of which, it is the 31st of March, so we'll talk about last quarter on the market, plus some company news. Star, again, in the news, Telstra and Tabcorp, mate. And this is not just the companies themselves, but what we can learn from what they're going through, good and ill. So what do you say? We get into it? Yeah, let's dive in. Beautiful. All right. I'm taking a very deep breath here because we're about to talk about the federal budget. And this is one of those things that stirs up very significant emotions among people. Those emotions can tend to be partisan in nature. I'm not talking about you or I necessarily. I'm saying that as a bit of a heads up for our listeners, there are some dyed-in-the-wool Labor supporters, some dyed-in-the-wool Liberal supporters, and some dyed-in-the-wool others, uh, Greens or Climate 200 or whoever you, are, whoever you are out there. And thank you for listening. We are going to do our absolute best to talk about this in a policy sense, in a budget sense. And if that is going to offend you, now's a great time to skip forward. Um, I hope. I made a, See, here's the thing. I believe our listeners are smart, thoughtful, sensible people who aren't going to just resort to partisanship. They're going to hear us out on the issues. They can even disagree, and that's cool. We'll even disagree with each other, I assume, over the next few minutes. But we're going to do it in a way that is policy-based on the assumption that we all want the best country moving forward. I tweeted during the week uh, that I had a bit of a tweet storm on, on budget night. Uh, good and ill. We'll talk about that. But I, I, one of my tweets was kind of at the end of end of Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, and it was basically words to the effect of, "Look, here's a vain plea. I know it's not going to help. I'm going to appeal to the patron saint of lost causes. But can you please not go to the newspaper websites, go to the What's in it for me budget calculator, and see how much money you've got, and make your decision on the budget on that basis." I, I like to believe, I, my, my personal view, I hope the view of the vast, vast, vast bulk of our listeners is that we all want a better country. We want a better country now. We want a better country in 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now. And I am one of those people who, do, who chooses to believe that one of the greater moral duties we have is to live a better country than we found. So those, those things are how I start. My point was, hey, can you at least please think about what's best for the country, what's best for our kids, not just now but in, in the future. Um, that, to me, is the, is the measure of a, of a good budget. So that's, that's where I'm starting from. Uh, I have my likes and dislikes from this budget, as I do from all policies and all politicians. So let's get into it, mate. Let's, let's tackle the first, the big three as a starting point, and then we'll get to kind of the bigger picture in, after that. Uh, fuel excise being cut from 44.2 cents to 22.1 cents per litre for six months, uh, rolling off at the end of September this year, 2022. Uh, there is a $420 uh, boost to the Lamington or the Lamito, depending on who you believe, the low and middle income tax offset, uh, another 420 bucks on that one. And 
there is going to be $250 given to most welfare recipients. And it's actually a reasonably long list. Everything from job seeker and age pension through the carer's allowance, youth allowance, uh, disability support pension, lots and lots and lots of stuff. Uh, the excise impacts us all. The uh, low and middle income tax offset apparently hits 10 million Australians. And I think I remember seeing something, I want to say 6 million, but that seems too high, but maybe it's right, who received some sort of uh, welfare or pension, uh, who will, I probably is right actually, if you think about pensioners, um, concession card holders as well, by the way, who will get 250 bucks. Something for almost everyone, mate. Um, let's take them in order. And Well, actually, let's, let's do the overall. $8.6 billion being splashed. Your thoughts? Is in just the overall quantum of what what's being? Oh, no, the whole thing. The the quantum, the 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 target, the necessity or otherwise of it. What do you what do you think? Do you, are you supportive or not supportive of the eight point six billion dollars being uh, I, spent? Yeah, uh, for me, it's not so much the the quantum of it, but right. the where it's directed and how it's used. Um, I mean, I think a very in, you can think about it in the same way as you would think about uh, a company raising money on behalf of shareholders and then and then spending that. So for me, every Every analysis needs to be looked at through two lenses. The first is the return on investment and the second is opportunity cost. So I don't mind too much on the size of it. We, we've got to stop thinking about um, government, federal government budgets as a household budget. It's different. Households mm. can't create their own money. And that, that's a separate conversation, but it's, I think it's... <laughs> it really is. I, it, but it is, I, I think it is an unhelpful analogy. So I'm, I do think that we should absolutely try and budget uh, balance the budget a mm. sort of over time but mm. I don't I don't think we need to be really ideologically bent on that okay and I don't think there's there's anything wrong with going into debt if if that money gets really incredible returns for us okay we've got to stop thinking a lot of these things aren't costs they're investments or they should at least be looked at that way so you know is it wrong for you to go into debt to go and take that down to Star City and and put it on the blackjack <laughs> table? Yeah, that's that's a really dumb use and you should avoid debt in all in all, you know, as much as you yeah, can. Yeah. If you're able to take that money and sensibly, conservatively in a low risk way invest that that you're going to get a much greater sum of value mm. back mm. over a period of time, mm. then that's great debt. That's mm. good debt. You absolutely do that because the you know what come you, whatever you throw out comes back to you tenfold or yep. whatever whatever the multiple is. So yeah, to, to to answer your question, I'm I don't I don't anchor too much on the overall size of it. It's also one of those things too that these numbers are very hard to internalize. You just mm. the the billion rolls off. Yeah, that sounds that's right. That sounds like a lot of money. That's right. You know, it was like, well, is it? It's 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 mm. without context, without mm. any kind of mm. benchmark mm. to compare that to. It's it's pretty ice, it's pretty useless. So, mm-hmm. that's what I think. So, this is a I kind of agree with you. Um, I have to say I think it's one of those situations where you're right. Uh, not all debt is bad, but not all debt is. I here's the thing, mate. I the, the household budget thing. I absolutely agree with you, with the exception that I don't know of a better analogy to use for it. And so, I I do like the household budget analogy in the context of there is also good debt that a household can have. Borrowing mm-hmm. to buy a home is good debt. Borrowing, as you say, to go take it up. Take out of the casino, or, or dare I say, after pay a pair of jeans, bad debt. Um, you know, consumption debt is generally bad. Investment, if you, if you, uh, you know, I, I don't love margin lines, as you know. I don't. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of borrowing right now to invest in property, but if you can do it sensibly and safely, that's better debt than consumer debt. So I think, you know, I think it's right. You're right that households can't create our own money. That is, that is absolutely the flaw. But without a better analogy, I think the idea kind of makes some sense. Um, 
I'm not even necessarily of someone who believes you should pay off all government debt necessarily at a given point. But I do think there is, even if we agree it's kind of elastic-sided, um, there is a point at which we have too much debt that will either impact inflation or our borrowing costs or our credit rating and therefore the, the, the debts of the companies that governments guarantee, like the banks, for example, um, and even those that aren't guaranteed but, but rely on things like exchange rates, right? If, if Australia's debt situation gets out of control, other people, other countries, other currencies simply say, yeah, no. Nah. So, they, they, yeah, even if it's not an absolute mm. number, and you're right, you're absolutely right, there is some relative reality. I don't know what the number is, but someone will say, yeah, well, what's the number then? I don't know. But conceptually, generally speaking, more debt and continuing to have more debt is, is a problem. Um, I'm going to get to debt in a second. Let's go back, though, to I'm going to I'm going to give a brickbat and a bouquet to the Treasurer. This is obviously a pre-election budget. This is a vote-buying budget, and let's be really, really clear about that. Um, I don't think anyone really believes that it's any different uh, other than those hyper-partisan people who choose to believe that um, the government's doing this stuff out of the kindness of their hearts, right? They're doing well, Fre- it Frydenberg actually said at the press club address that my goal is to win the election. So he said he said the quiet part out loud, I think, as you, as you tweeted. I did. So, um, so it, it was, is, it, it even the treasurer funny. himself is saying this is about winning. It was, it was pretty funny to ask the about. question. His, his response was, well, David, my, 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 my focus is on winning the election. I was like, Oh, no, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, no, my focus is on the best of the country for Australians. And no, it was winning the election. Like, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, like that. It's, and, it, you know, that's, and that's, by the way, not unusual. Uh, it's less money than John Howard's splash in 07. Uh, other, other parties, I'm sure, I, I just know that because that's what was mentioned in the press yesterday. Um, other, other parties do exactly the same thing, right? So let's not pretend that Josh Frydenberg is all of a sudden the evil treasurer from Central Casting where we've had, we've had angels thus far. Um, so that's the, that's the brick bat, right? They, they are spending... You know our money, <laughs> giving us bribing us with our own money, which is always something all governments have always done, uh, but sticks in the craw. The mm. good thing about it, mate, I'm going to say the really good thing about it is yes, he's buying some votes, but in all three uh, all three um, senses with all three of those payment uh, amounts, the eight points of billion split up across those three areas, they're all one off or limited time. And I'll give him some credit. It would have been easy to say, hey, here's a permanent drop to petrol excise or here's a permanent increase to the, the Lamington tax offset or here's a permanent increase to welfare payments. But he didn't. He said, here's a one-off so that he and or the next treasurer, whoever, well, it will be the next treasurer, whoever it is, but it could be him again or it could be somebody else in the next parliament, um, isn't bound by that and the, the, the budget isn't bound by that fiscally. And I thought at least if you're going to do it, do it that way so that you, you might be buying the votes now, um, but you're not, you're not binding the budget. You're not creating ongoing damage, right? This is a one-off that next year will simply be reversed. And unless the next government extends them, which of course they may do, and that's always the, the devil's in the detail, uh, but at least it's a one-off and at least it doesn't create ongoing problems for the budget. It doesn't change the structural balance, which is my big issue, um, which takes me to the my, my biggest challenge with the budget is the Treasurer had said previously at both 6% and then 5% unemployment, he would commence budget repair, his words. Now, it's a bit of a cliche, but paying down some of the debt and or at least reducing the size of the deficit. At this stage, there's going to be a deficit for at least the next 10 years on the Treasurer's own numbers and gross government debt is going to top out at 1.2, speaking of numbers that rolled off the tongue, $1.2 trillion. Dollars one point one six to be fairer to the treasurer. Can I just can I just a very small Please. clarification? Not that it will, that it is it is forecast. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. And and it's it's worth saying it's not yeah, to no, be it's point. not it's not to be difficult. No, it's good. I, I did see some stuff throughout the week when you go back at past budgets and look at the assumptions that were <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, it's not like that. Oh, some of them were wrong. They were all wrong. And yeah, and I'll be fair here. This is 
this is this is not because yeah. you know they're they're cynical idiots, although <laughs> maybe there's some truth to that. But but yeah, also well, it, it's just it's just very difficult. It's very very difficult to forecast this. Predictions stuff. are hard, especially about the future. They they really are. So so I just I think it's an important thing to distinguish that the expectation is that and we should also acknowledge that these expectations have proven to be horribly flawed um, in almost every case in the past so that's that's great but it's not let's not let's not speak of it as if it's happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's true so so it could be better it could be worse either way mate i'm gonna say i'm gonna give him 50 percent either way somewhere between half a trillion and one and a half trillion it's probably still too much you know the the the, and the the deficits are, are supposed to be going down hopefully over time um, look, and this is my this is my biggest issue with this budget is that it didn't do anything at all. In fact, it made the deficit worse. Um, the, the the numbers slightly better than Treasury predicted in December because we were lucky enough to your point about predictions to have higher oil prices and higher coal prices and higher iron ore prices. The company tax for which is going to boost the federal budget coffers, and so the Treasury got a free kick as others have in the past. Again, there's not a partisan comment. So things improved versus the estimates, but the actual spending and, and revenue collection policy changes make the deficit, well, the structural deficit, right? If you take out the cyclical impact of, of commodity prices, makes the structural deficit worse with no plans to really start to rein in the debt, federal government debt at all for a very, very long time. And that's, mm. that's my number one issue, mate. And to back to your original point, I actually do think we should try to get back to zero debt at the very, very, very least, we should get back to a level of debt to GDP, which is a much more rational, reasonable number. If for no other reason, the next time we need to raid the piggy bank for the next crisis, I'd like to have enough capacity, as I said, even if it's not a physical dollar amount, enough goodwill, enough um, belief in the rest of the capital markets around the world that the Australian dollar, that the Australian government are creditworthy institutions who should and can be lent to. As opposed to, oh, what's a lot of debt, guys. Are you really sure? The bill on the interest, mate, $22 billion, speaking of money, per year, mm. three mm. times the size of the cash handouts. So, again, in terms of the implications of, of a budget, is $8.6 billion a lot of money? Yes. Is it spent accurately? Nah, you can argue that. We can argue against it. But when there's three times that much every single year based on running up this debt, that's the issue I've, I've got, mate. You know, to the extent that, you know, are we going to get productive return from the debt well that's that's a question you ask as you as you rightly pointed out um i use the analogy again speaking of household budget last in 2020 2021 the car blew up the fridge went on the blink and there was a hole in the roof right we had we had disasters Mm. and so we spent money because you know (laughs) you either say well look i can put the roof repairs on the credit card right let the let the rain come in you gotta put it on the credit Mm. card right makes sense Mm -hmm. you do what you have to do and Mm. then you say all right guys we've got a credit card debt it kind of sucks yeah, we had planned to go on holidays this year, but we're probably going to have to scale it back or cancel it and just pay down the credit card or pay off the credit card. That just makes mm-hmm. sense, right? And I think the unemployment rate is supposed to be 3.75% on Treasury's estimates. Again, not a hard guess given it's already at four. Mm-hmm. Inflation is going to be high-ish. The economy is back, baby. Like, you know, there's, there's pockets and there's cost of living issues. But if you're not going to repair the budget with unemployment under 4%, I'm not sure when you do it. And that's that's my big issue is cyclically, you're supposed to bank the surpluses when the economy's doing well and then you spend mm. the money when the economy's in trouble. Maybe the economy gets better for sure. Is it perfect? No. But if you're waiting for perfection, one year in 20, you'll get a perfect year. You can't mm. bank enough surpluses in just the most perfect year. You say, okay, on balance, it's better than usual, better than average. Let's start winding in the sales. Uh, when things are tough, okay, you let the sales out. That's, that's how this is supposed to work. And I just... 
I feel like there's a real lack of fiscal discipline. And frankly, um, again, recording this Thursday morning, I have, I'm, I'm really happy to predict <laughs> that that Anthony Albanese, when he speaks tonight, is not going to recommend a whole lot of savings out of the budget, right? He said, great, they spend all this money. We would spend exactly the same amount of money or more or in different places. Because mm. that's what politicians are going to do. Mm. So this is not a, this is not a political jibe in the slightest. As I said, there's some there's some bokehs and some brickbats. But I thought generally that debt uh, and the lack of interest in fiscal discipline is what really really got up my nose on Tuesday night. Yes, it, same. But what more got up my nose, um, up to the touching the brain sort of level. Of, <laughs> of th- like yeah, a, like a, like a rat test on steroids, <laughs> you know. You know it's just like touching the back of the skull, kind of stuff. Yeah. So you, you talk about those those uh, structural problems on 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 one side. On the, yep. on the other side, you know, is it nice to get a couple hundred bucks in your bank account? Yep. Is it nice to save ten percent off what you're otherwise paying for fuel? Yes, it is. Mm. But it doesn't actually solve anything. It, it it sort of feels a little bit better. It's a one off little sugar hit. Yep. If, if there are issues with cost of living, and there very much are issues with mm-hmm. cost of living. Some people are doing it really tough out there. It just doesn't help you. It, you know, it, it, yeah. it's it, the overall it adds up to squillions of dollars, but for the family that's really struggling in mm-hmm. Lismore, mm-hmm. you know, an extra yep. 250 bucks is just like, well, you know, it's better than nothing. I'll yeah. grant you that. But does it, does it materially change our scenario? Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a bit of a shell game going on there too because the way – that uh, tax scales and uh, uh, other programs are sort of ending. You'll end up actually uh, losing more than that when you yeah. w- when that rolls off in the next in the next year anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of it, it doesn't it doesn't achieve anything sustainably. So yes, uh, was it was it responsible to sort of splash all that money and at, at a point when when times are pretty good? Mm. No. But if you were, at least spend it on something that's going to have a material impact yeah. and that is, is going to give us a good return on investment. And and I would argue that it that it doesn't. Now, again, like I I've got a car. <laughs> I'm happy to, to have I'm happy. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna voluntarily hand over another twenty two cents a litre to the to the bloke at the server? No, I'm really happy to save it, but doesn't it doesn't shift me from it doesn't shift yeah. my yeah. position yeah. in any material way in some and even even for people mm-hmm. right right on the margin, mm-hmm. yes, it helps. But does it really? Does it really change mm-hmm. your situation in a way that's that that, that is is going to have any sort of sustainable um, uh, benefit to you? And and I would I would say no. It's interesting too because when you sort of all the analysis that's out there, I actually ne- I couldn't come across a single dissenting view on that from economists from from all sides of the mm-hmm. ideological mm-hmm. spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not. Yeah, I, I think you can sort of say some of, a lot of this stuff objectively. Mm. I would argue. It's um, I, yeah, I actually thought it's worth too much. So here's the here's where, here's the challenge I have. Right, here's why it's a vote buying budget because these levels of inflation aren't unusual uh, in the long run history of Australia's economy. They are unusual in the last thirty years because we got used to a world where there wasn't much inflation. So that's that's the first thing. Second thing I'll say is that it's fine to help people with cost of living, but are they going to give cash handouts when interest rates go up? Because you reckon petrol going up a bit is going to hurt you. You got a you got a five hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and interest rates go up by half a percent, one percent over the next few years. Are they going to give handouts for that? Of course they're not. Well, I desperately hope that otherwise we'll give the whole thing away. And if they're not going to do that, then what are you giving handouts for now, other than for an election, right? For for that sense of we're doing something to help. And maybe they need to. Maybe maybe we are craven enough as as electors, as voters, 
to need a government to do that, we will turf them out. And if that's the case, well, you know, maybe maybe we deserve what we get in the sense that, you know, the government are only doing what they need to do just because others will throw them out on a whim rather than for genuine reasons or not. Mm. Uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not making a political view. I'm just saying if, if the voters are going to say, screw you, Jack, you're not helping me, you're out. I guess you've got to do something, right? If, if you're going to be turfed out for, for those unfair reasons. But if you're not going to help with interest rate increases when that hurts the cost of living, when your costs as a household go up faster than your wage because interest rates, that's what's going to happen when rates go up, you're not going to keep up with rates. That's the point of rates. That's the point of rates rising, right? So if you're not going to help that cost of living, which is much bigger than petrol, much bigger than food, much bigger than... Then, then the rest of it's a shell, a shell game, two or just a straight out facade, right? It's just literally, yes, we're from the government, we're here to help. Um in a way that makes absolutely zero sense, and I think that's mm. that's my issue. Now, for what it's worth, I, I said um, again on Twitter, um, and I'll give you our Twitter handles in a minute. You know, I actually have no issue with this money being given to low and middle income earners. Well, sorry again, low income earners and pensioners and welfare recipients, right? Middle income earners now up to one hundred twenty six thousand dollars a year. I'm far from convinced if you earn one hundred twenty five grand a year, you need another four hundred twenty bucks from the government. And if you do, you're probably not managing your finances very well. Now. That's an inflammatory thing to say and people will be yelling at the podcast machine right now. And I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't care. Um, the reality is if you earn that sort of money, you, you know, it's not, it's not tax cut territory. It's not, it's not helping you with the cost of living territory. Um, well, isn't the average salary something like 80 grand or something? So, I think you know, in the median is even less than that, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're materially above the average. It's that's right, like, that's right. Would we all like more? Yeah, of course yeah, we would. But, yeah. you know, it's hard to sort of argue that you're in, in need of, of welfare. You're on, you're on one of the higher amounts of need, correct? Uh, and and I and for those higher than that, they clearly don't deserve it or need a tax cut. In the context, and this is the problem, right? Here's why it matters. We can always just say everyone needs a tax cut, or deserves a tax cut. Deserves is one of those words I hate, by the way, because Polly's are convinced we all deserve everything, and it's just complete rubbish. Um, we don't deserve anything. What we what we deserve from our leaders is a country that's run, as I said before, to you know be uh, more prosperous, more successful. Uh, happier, um, a better society in 20, 30, 40 years' time. And that means mm. we're either going to provide services or we're not. And if we are going to provide services, then those services have to be paid for by people in some proportion to their income. And so you know what? I have no, I have no um, well, not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sympathy for someone on, on 120, 30, 40, 50, 60 grand saying, hey, I, I deserve to pay less tax. So, well, hang on, if you pay less, some other poor bastard's paying more. So which, who, who should do that? Who should pay more than you if you're on 150 grand? Is it, is it the guy working at the factory? Is it the girl at the checkout? Is it the, the sales rep on 75 grand a year? Really, they should pay more tax than you shouldn't. Is that really what you're telling me? And I don't think that passes the sniff test. So mm. uh, I will say absolutely that. To the point though about fiscal repair, mate, this is my issue is there are, I, I'm not saying that the fiscal repair should have been done by taking or not giving $8.6 billion to people who otherwise might or may not have deserved it. It's the rest of the policy settings. It's saying, hey, structurally our budget is stuffed. We need to fix the structural problems. It is literally imbalanced. The longer this goes, the worse it gets. That's exactly how it's designed right now. Mm. And the polys know that. And so you either say, hey, here's the spending we're going to cut. Or you say, and permanently, regularly ongoing spending, by the way, not one-offs. Or you say, here's where we're going to raise the revenue. Or both. That's how you fix the budget deficit, right? <laughs> you know, you earn a hundred bucks, you pay one hundred and ten dollars a year in expenses. Uh, that you know, you keep doing that, no matter how you spread it up. That's what happens, right? Someone's going to have to either spend a little bit less or earn a little bit more. And if you're a government, that means either cutting some programs or, or increasing some taxes somewhere. And that's the that's the gutlessness of our polity at the moment. As I said, I dare say that Anthony Albanese will 
not propose massive savings or massive taxation tonight, um, again, yesterday uh, <laughs> in, in podcast time, it just, I, it just really strikes me that it's a, it's a challenge that they're not choosing to grasp. That's my, that's my issue is they are, it is an irresponsible approach from both parties to not say, this is our path back A to surplus and B to debt reduction. And if neither party can bring themselves to do that, then a pox on both their houses. Mm. Yeah, I guess the other point I would make too is that no one likes paying tax. I don't like paying tax, um, but it is it is a, a term I'm trying to coin is society as a service. To the SAS, <laughs> nice. The SAS idea, of, you know, from from markets and business models. It, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is not so much what you are taxed that it's what you get in return for that. Yeah, of course it is. So there's there's a lot of lot of people have done a lot of work on this, and and when you look at the highest standards of living around yep. the world, they tend to be in the highest taxed um, mm-hmm. jurisdictions. Yep. You know, you can go to some places where you pay hardly any tax, but mm-hmm. it's not really a great society to live in. So it's you know, you've got to ask yourself: Do you want to sort of be in the upper middle class in Ghana, mm-hmm. or do you want to be? Uh, yeah, right. You know, the up, the, or, or do you want to be in the middle class in somewhere like Australia? Mm. There's, you could be the richest person in the world in the year 1350, and you've mm. got a pretty crappy life. You yeah, know, so it's, right. it, these these funds that we have, it, it really is. You said at the start, we've got to stop looking at this budgets. Is you know, what does it mean for me yep. specifically? What do I get? What do I have to pay? Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of the a lot of the benefits that come from a well executed, well designed budget. Are actually, they're not they're not as easy to see, but they have mm-hmm. real, real, real benefits. You know, mm-hmm. the, and that's the que- that's the bigger question here. What's the kind of society that we want to live in? Do I want to live in a society where, if God, God forbid, something really ho- horrible happens to my family, I can rock up and get them treated mm-hmm. instantly? You know, that I that I can walk down the street and it's safe at night. That there aren't, you know, loads of homeless mm-hmm. people suffering on the street. Where you know, there, there's all kinds of things which sort of go beyond your direct experience, but nevertheless reflect and impact you mm. uh, on, on, on you in, in a myriad of, of indirect ways. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I, I'm, I'm trying to say it's, the hard thing about this is you've got to look at it holistically. Yep. There, is certain, there are certain spending um, uh, issues that will never benefit me, hopefully, uh, directly, because you know, I I, I don't want to be someone who's uh, un, you know, unfortunately been hit by a disability mm-hmm. or some horrible tragedy, and so I hope hope I never get benefits from that kind of stuff. But it, I'm really glad that those benefits are out there for other people. One, because I'm I'm not an asshole, I like to think. But two, <laughs> it's also that's that that it, it it has impacts on the wider society that I'm a part of and that I yep. live in, and will impact me in some other ways. So. And just quietly there, but for the grace of God, right? It's um, it it could be us. Can I say, you know, my favorite part of budget night. This is. Let me get a bit soppy for a second. When it's when it's when the when they stop talking. No, I love budget. I love. I I, you know, I love the budget. I just. I I couldn't watch. Man, I just. Can I say, I sat down to watch. I I had to turn it off. (laughs) I I could not watch it. I just. You know what? I'll just wait. Wait, and I'll read the summary the next morning because it's (laughs) it's easier and less painful and just cuts out the waffle. But sorry. Anyway, continue. I do love it. The best part of the budget was actually it was when they stopped talking, and it was this. I went to bed. Uh, my young bloke was reading with with his mum, uh, with my wife, and uh, so I said, "Mate, I, sorry, I'm like, so I read, we have a really cool nighttime ritual. I read him some poems at night, mm-hmm. which is great. He falls asleep, which is lovely." Um, I said, "Sorry, mate, I'm sorry, my lady, because the budget went late. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I had to stay and listen to mum. And mum loved reading, and he loves reading, so it wasn't a really a problem. But I felt like I should apologise for being late. So sorry, mate. Look, I was I was I was just watching the budget, 
And uh, I said, just it's really important. You know, it's, it's about the country. And by. He said, well, why is it important, Dad? I said, well, it's kind of how the government kind of collects money and, you know, the, our taxes and, and how they spend that money. I said, you know, when, when mummy and I get paid, we, we, some of our money the government takes and goes and puts to important things and, and then we get to use those services if, if everything happens or something else happens. And I said, remember, mm. you know, I was in hospital with pneumonia, which I was four or three and a half years ago now after I came back from Kokoda. So remember I was in the hospital with pneumonia, guess how much I had to pay for that? Nothing. I just knew that if I, if I got sick, I'd come back, I'd, I'd be okay. And Ian said, yeah, that's, it. that's how much I hurt my knees. Yeah, it was. And I said, and if, if, you know, his mates, and I named a couple of his mates or, or one of their dads or sisters or brothers, if they get sick, they can go straight to hospital. I said, in your school, the government pays some money for somebody your school and, and went through some of that stuff. And it was just a really, I said, you know, we have to pay some tax and the, that comes out of our pay and doesn't always feel great, but it's kind of important, right? And it, and it really, you know what it did? It reminded me, explaining the budget to a nine-year-old reminded me of actually what this is supposed to be about. And mm. yeah, it's one part disappointing because governments of either stripe never quite match up to what we would love them to be. But it was a reminder of, to get a bit positive and a bit, a bit uh, philosophical, you know, all, all the good stuff, you know, living in a, living in a democratic society where um, we do look after each other, where we can see the budget play out, where, you know, I hope at some point during the process, and I'm sure it's true, I don't, Josh Froman is not a bad guy. He, he may have different views to other people and same with Jim Chalmers, by the way, none of them are bad people. Um, he's got different priorities. Jim Chalmers has got different priorities. You can agree or disagree with some of them, but they're trying to do the right thing, right? They, they know this is about <laughs> the country that we the own, the country that we run, the country that we live in. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's something to that. And I, just, I just think it was a nice way to just explain to, you know, in really simple, to really break it down, right? For all of the billion dollars here, billion dollars, it's like, you know what? It's just about when the government takes some tax money, where does it go? And how do we make sure everyone gets what they need? I just thought it was a, it, kind of, it's what budget should be, right? 101, if you can explain it to a nine-year-old, you're probably getting it roughly right. I just thought it was a nice way to kind of finish off budget night, for me at least. Yeah. Yeah. Least. No, it's always, it's always good to come back to the foundational big ideas. So that, that, that's what matters. I agree. Mate, let's move let's on. Let, oh, let's, no, 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 we can't. We, you've, oh, only touched on on the, we... you've only touched on the fuel excise. I, I, I would, I, and, and some of the, the cash handouts. Okay. I think the, the biggest miss here. And debt. Uh, and debt. The biggest miss here was on uh, the climate, and yep. again, this isn't this isn't going to. Um, hopefully, it doesn't come across as as a environmental rant, but I'm, I really want to frame this in in the context of return on investment, mm-hmm. um, etc. So, if anything, what Ukraine has sort of shown is our interdependence yep. on a lot of other. Yeah, so there's things like uh, geopolitical security, but there's also things such as. Uh, the household costs. So again, this is this budget all about costs, mm-hmm. and we have a we have a, a, a an opportunity to invest heavily in things that will cost a lot of money, but ret- the return on that would would be insane mm. in terms of how we could save money by basically electrifying a lot of of our economy. Again, is is it a nice benefit that it sort of saves the planet? Yes, but I don't want to get. <laughs> I, mean, I feel very passionately about that. Mm. And, but I don't, but mm. but my and I've said it before. It's kind of like the, the insane thing about it is you can forget about the environment. We we might let's say we live in a, some kind of universe where there's absolutely no impact. And there's mm. no there's no uh, uh, global warming issues, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We should be doing this stuff anyway. Because Australia is one of these really unique countries where we have such an abundance of these natural resources, i.e. sun, wind, land, all of this kind of stuff, that this was another phenomenal opportunity mm. to make some really big nation-building investments that would that would reduce our dependence on, on foreign powers, that mm. would re- drastically reduce uh, our costs 
and also make us all a little bit healthier and potentially save the planet. It just, it, and, and the, again, some numbers got thrown around, $128 million. It's like, it's chump change. It is absolute chump change. Yeah, yeah. You know, we gave $25 million to Whitehaven coal for somehow they're going to airdrop coal into Ukraine. I don't know how that's going to work, but it just sort of, it puts it in context here. Yeah. Uh, and how, how many billion dollars in, in, in subsidies. Now, part of what government, uh, budgets should do is they should sort of set the agenda. You basically try and tax the things you want less of and, mm-hmm. and you subsidize the things you want more of. Mm-hmm. And we're in this bizarre universe where mm. we are subsidizing the thing that we want less of mm-hmm. and, and, and we're, we're making it very difficult on the things that we should want more of that. That was a huge, a huge miss. Same with COVID when they had a blank check, just like, you know, Everyone gave you permission to spend whatever you can to stimulate the economy yeah, and help us get right. through this. Yep. And what did they do? They they it was a gas led recovery. It's just that yep. where's who has that benefited? Like mm-hmm. certainly, you know, ninety five percent of probably far more of people mm-hmm. none. But here, here's opportunities I think there mm-hmm. to just get again wonderful, wonderful return on investment. And it's just so mm-hmm. it's so disappointing. <laughs> I guess is what I would say. Um, and and. It, it's such a it's such an issue of our times. I think mm-hmm. look, it's the year twenty twenty two. We've been talking about this since the seventies. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 we're at we're at a point now where we we need to act. All of this other kind of stuff is insignificant if if you know we're going to find that food prices go through the roof because we just can't grow enough of it anymore, mm-hmm. or that all of our assets, which huge trillions of dollars of property assets up and down the coast, if they're going to be damaged, mm-hmm. you know, with whole towns are being talked about being moved at the moment. Like mm-hmm. their costs, that costs money. So if we can spend money that can mitigate that kind of stuff, again, the return on the investment there is 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 potentially huge. It is the issue of our generation, and we're doing absolutely bugger all about it. And that's more than anything, you know, just just makes it so depressing. Hmm. Yeah, can't disagree with any of that, mate. Um, I, <laughs> it's, it's some degree, you know, I, I it's probably it's probably not well for me at least. It wasn't remark worthy almost because we didn't expect anything more. <laughs> It was one of those, and again, I I don't want to keep referring to my tweets, but I tweeted I tweeted around they, the treasurer is something like we're safeguarding Australia's environment, whatever, whatever phrase you, I can't remember the exact phrase you use, something like that. And as soon as I heard it, I couldn't help but tweet it. Like you know, you can say what you want, you can disagree with the policies, you can do whatever, um, but does anyone really believe that this government's policies to safeguard the environment in any, in any meaningful way? It just seems you know, you can say we don't care, you can say we think the whole thing's a hoax, you can say whatever you want to say, you can say we don't think it's worth doing. Uh, but but to pretend that they actually do care, I thought was was almost laughable. It's almost one of those things, you know, the old lady doth protest too much line from Shakespeare. It's like when you make that point, say we care so much about the environment, as you say, we're spending 126 million dollars worth of more. It's like over five oh, years. Okay, over yeah, five years. That's right. It's nothing. You know, so that's not really, you know, that's not really, and, and it's almost one of those. They're almost inviting the scrutiny, right? They're inviting the skepticism when someone says. Hang on, <laughs> let me do those numbers. You're always better not to talk about it than talk about it. Pretend you're doing something where it's so little that it that it matters uh, not a jot. I, that again, it, it, it impacts all of it. I don't care. You could be the richest person in the country. It's you yeah. know we all live on the same uh, planet. It, it's going it's going to impact you directly. Yeah. And obviously, the richer you are, the more privileged you are, the better that you'll adapt. And mm-hmm. and you know you'll be you'll be 
better going through that environment. But it's, geez, is that, do you want to be the top of that kind of society? Yeah. Or would yeah. you rather be the top of a, of a far more prosperous, safe society? You know, it, it, it's just, it's so short-sighted. And again, I don't, it feels like whenever you talk about this stuff, it sounds really politically charged. For me, it's got nothing mm-hmm. to do with left versus right or anything. Mm-hmm. This is just pure common sense fiscally, environmentally, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's just I, 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 I can't see the argument as to why you wouldn't do it. And, and the arguments that do get forward are so asinine as to be ridiculous. Mm. Like, oh, yes, but it's going to cost a lot of money. And it's like, well, Sherlock, <laughs> there's two scenarios ahead of us. <laughs> Both are going to cost a, right, exactly. a squillion, yeah, right? right? You know, but right. it just turns out that one in the long run is going to be far, far, far more expensive. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of like it's 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 silly to sort of say uh, that this this is what what might feel a little bit cheaper now is just going to cost you huge amounts in the long term. Personally, so again, be selfish about it. Mm-hmm. Be selfish about it, mm-hmm. and realize that how this is going to impact you. And it's not something that's miles off in the future. We see how. How many, how many once in a thousand year floods do we have to sort of have before we go? Kind of, a month. Yeah, that's right. It turns out that everything that every single expert in the world has been saying for the last, you know, couple of decades yeah. is yeah. true, you know. Yeah. Anyway, rant over. I agree. I, yeah, I, did, I did like the fact you started with, I hope this doesn't come across like a rant. I was like, oh man, I've got a buckle. This, this is going to be a rant. This is going to be a rant. Oh, it's just so, it's so important. It's so, and if you haven't grasped that yet, I just, I, yeah. you're, you, you've really got to look into it. And again, mm-hmm. in an objective kind of way, look, mm-hmm. look at it as, as a hard-nosed uh, economist and, and, yeah. and see, what, see what scenario is, is the cheapest and the best for us. And one just stands head and shoulders above the rest. It's... um. It's pretty interesting. I'm I'm not as forthright as you in terms of the amount of money the government should spend per se on some of these things. Um, I'm much more inclined to, despite me agreeing with the, the issues, letting the market do its thing. Um, but I think the price signals that, as you said, you, you know, tax things you don't want, you subsidise things you do want. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for us to do that. Even even in a yeah, so this is a conservative government who would who would generally speaking lean on the side of doing less stuff. Um, than more, you know, they're less progressive, they're, they're less likely to intervene. That's kind of their raison d'etre, raison d'etre, raison d'etre. I had to spit that out. Um, I clearly not a French speaker as the first or second or fourth language. Um, it's, uh, uh, but, so, so there's that, right? And that's, that's, that's a thing. Uh, but if you're going to do something about that for everything else that's being done or not done in terms of other spending and, and, uh, and approaches, things like the diesel fuel rebate, um, for example, even cutting the petrol price, if you want to give people, I would have much rather than actually give a handout to every motorist rather than reduce the price of petrol. Because at the end of the day, the price signal allows you to, and I've said this before, I would, again, no one's going to vote for me. If I was treasurer, I'd put a carbon tax in tomorrow and I'd offset it with a carbon dividend to the same amount. That's right. The average household is going to incur $1,500 more in energy costs and petrol costs over the next year because we're going to put price petrol up 25 cents a litre. We're going to put up the price of electricity by whatever amount. It'll cost the average household 1500 bucks more. Here you go, here's 1500 bucks to cover it. Because what that does is it says to people, well, I've got the money, cool, so I'm no worse off. But if I can save some electricity, if I can justify buying an electric vehicle first or second hand, if I can maybe turn the heater off, turn the aircon down, not take that extra drive, then I'm going to make money out of this. You can make things, you're talking about the power of incentives, to your point. And this is a government that would absolutely say, we believe in, in the power of incentives. That's the way you do this sort of stuff. So to your point, simply removing the diesel fuel rebate 
um, uh, you know, not subsidising new coal and gas-fired power. Um, if you do feel like there's then therefore a shortage, by all means, add money to make sure we've got things like energy security or if we're worried about the you know, brownouts and blackouts. And yes, do something if that needs to be done. But you don't even need to start with, here's a squillion dollars, go and build this stuff. It's just literally let the market work it out. But remove the incentives to pollute and put it put some disincentives in place to pollute and let the market go from there. It, you know, for 20, 20 years, maybe close, 15 years at least, business has been saying, and this is this is generally a conservative government-friendly constituency, has been saying, will you please, for the love of God, A, commit to net zero, B, give us some policy certainty so we know what we need to do and how we need to invest our money in this new world. Even business saying, can you just give us something, guys? Like, it'd be really nice if you could, you know, let us let us know what's going to happen moving forward. I think you can have most of what you said without even being, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'm not going to say, I was going to say, without being radically interventionist, uh, which sounds like I was, I was criticising you, I'm not at all. But there are, you know, there are really, really, you know, if, you, if you're a conservative voter or a conservative government, there are traditionally conservative-friendly ways to do exactly all of these things in a way that makes a whole lot of sense financially, ideologically, that get you to the result, and as you say, mate, are actually in the interests of those investing the money. If if those numbers stack up to your point, and I don't know that they do, I know you've there's a book you've recommended whose name escapes me right now. Um, the Big Switch. There you go. Sort where the guy says, look, you know, electrifying is better, then the market will work that out. Just just let the market do its thing with that mm. certainty. Um, if it's if it's genuinely better, there's enough money out there. Warren Buffett talks about tax and says, you know, if, if you know someone who's not going ahead with the project, the tax he'll pay, give it to me, I'll unburden him. Mm. Um, it's kind of the same in this case, right? If, if, it, if there's a business case there, just get the hell out of the way and, and incentivise if you need to on the edges. But mm. business will do these things if there's money to be made. You've just got to stop incentivising the rubbish stuff uh, and maybe disincentivising if you need to. I said I would put a carbon tax in place to, to, to um, speed up that transition. But there's some real. I said, just what frustrates me more than anything, mate, is you know I, we can ask, we can ask a conservative government to be more progressive, and they probably won't. We can ask a progressive government to be more conservative, and they probably won't either. By the way, but these things can be resolved with some will, with some open-mindedness, and with the tools of either party that they would naturally gravitate towards. The same results or similar results can be established with just a little thought, a little effort, and a little kind of you know persistence. Yeah, and, and look, I know we've got to move on, but the, yeah. other, the other point I wanted to <laughs> highlight here, so we talked about sort of the return on investment angle. Yep. The, the other one's the opportunity cost angle. So there'll, there will be a whole bunch of items within this budget and any budget, mm. which in and of themselves you could, we, we, we could argue around the fringes as to whether that's, that's uh, mm. uh, a worthwhile program or yep. not, or I might do it differently than yeah. you might do it, et cetera. Yep. And, and they're, they're worthwhile debates to have. But again, it's, 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 there isn't, we're a very rich country, country we're one of the richest mm-hmm. in the world so yes. um but it's but it's also got to be looked at in terms of 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 what are we foregoing so it's mm-hmm. not a question of hey can we afford to buy a bunch of nuclear submarines yeah we, we totally can yeah, yeah. um and is there an argument for improved defense capabilities yeah there, there probably is but but what it really should be framed at is in actually here's your choice you mm-hmm. can have uh 20 new state-of-the-art hospitals yeah. or you can have you can have a nuclear sub what do yeah. you want now that's that's a different question, but it's but it's yeah. the right question because there isn't a limit. As rich as we are, there is not, mm. there is a limited pool of funds. So I would I would even broaden it more out and sort of say, well, let's not look at this particular spend in isolation. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, what 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 else can I get with that? And yep. and there's yep. there's a lot of really really good stuff that that we 
we could get with, I would argue. So it, that's what it sticks in micro is one is because I think they're just sort of silly. A lot of these things are very silly, damaging policies in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's more that it, it also stops us from doing these other really cool things that would just give us wonderful, wonderful advantages as a, as a society mm-hmm. and make us all richer and safer and happier. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the truly depressing part of all of this. Enough said. I did say rant over and then I kept going. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I want to toss something around, mate. Um, and it's, it's macro again, but it's kind of useful and important. This is the inflation interest rates wages conundrum. Because... We've seen today, literally Thursday the 31st of March, the unions have come out and said we want a 5% pay rise and we don't want to we don't want we don't want in the calculation to include any of the handouts we're getting from the government. So budget sweetness, we'll take those, yes please. We'd also still like five percent white pay rise. And generally speaking, the 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 theory goes, and this is I have a real issue with this conceptually as a theory. Not say people don't necessarily deserve more money, but as a theory, hey, my costs have gone up, therefore I need more money to cover it. As if the employment structures, bosses, governments, whoever, are obliged somehow by some dint of um, moral something or you know some sort of force of the universe to always cover rising costs for their employees. Hey, I paid you $100 last year. I'm going to pay you $104 this year. Why? Well, because costs go up, so you have to pay me more. So well, hang on, why, why is the boss's job to cover inflation just because you would like the boss to cover inflation? Well, it's, it, all, it's, it, all, it's also feedback loops within that too. So it's well, kind of like- that's what I was like, going to talk to you about. That, mm. that, this, is, this is the issue, right? Is that, we, we, and, and again, like this is, a, I, there are very few benefits to being old, mate. One of those benefits is you've seen this before. And I think I've said this before. Mm. We, you know, we lived through the 80s and I didn't, I don't remember it at the time. I was a little bit too young, but studied it in high school, studied it at uni. The old wage and prices accord- which is the most arcane name in the world, was when the government, the unions, basically came to agreement and say, "Guys, this this feedback loop, this is a this is a vicious spiral." If yeah, we, we have, get, I'll just I, I'll just uh, 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 alliterate that a little bit more. So it, it it's like uh, costs are going up, so give me more money. Yep. But now we've all got a bit more money, <laughs> and supply demand will probably push prices up. A well, little not only bit that, for- but the boss has to pay me more money, so he sort of put his prices up. So not only does the yep. increased demand or the increased supply of money push prices up. Mm. But the increased costs on businesses also add to their need or, or perceived need to put prices up. So both those things, absolutely, to your point, act in, act in concert. And so the more prices go up, the more wage demands are. The more wage demands there are, the more prices go up. And all of a sudden, you're in this stupid inflationary world. And this is – and I just it's – worth, it's worth talking about because this is probably the knottiest policy problem – Outside other ideology stuff of budgets, we can fix those if we choose to. There's a lack of will for most of those. This is a genuine policy problem because if you don't give people more money in their pockets, then their cost of li- the standard of living goes down, literally by definition. If I have to pay more for stuff than I used to, I don't have any more money to pay for it, I can buy less stuff, therefore my standard of living falls. Just mathematically, that's just one of those truisms of the world. Economics doesn't have many truths, uh, absolute truths. This is one of them. But if you put wages up and then prices go up, you're actually stoking next year's inflation and you're chasing, you know, the, your tail effectively, except that it, it damages the economy. It makes things more expensive. It makes it harder for people to um, borrow, for, to pay back things, to, to earn a quid, to pay the bills. Um, it impacts things like interest rates because central banks say we want to try and, try and kill this off. And then that, by the way, also adds to inflationary pressures in themselves because businesses have to pay more, households have to pay more and so on and so on. 
And it is, as I said, we've, we've not had this problem for 30 years, pretty much bang on 30 years. You know, as much as Keating was pilloried for saying the recession we had to have, the recession broke the back of a boom and some inflation that led us to 30 years of pretty tame inflation, pretty tame interest rates, pretty, you know, normal but but abnormal because this you know the, this is this wasn't a new normal right this was the this was the period between two periods of normal inflation is is real and it's back um a five percent inflate a five percent pay rise i would love five percent more in my pay packet if my boss is listening please that'd be lovely but if and when that happens across the economy prices go up the multi is going to put its prices up at some point if i get paid more right the, the you know it's going to cost more to buy the fruit and veg if the truck driver gets paid more and the guy who loads the truck gets paid more and the guy who grows the vegetables gets paid more and the guy who picks the vegetables get you know it, these things are feedback loops as you say and i don't really have a solution man i got to say this is i, well, I have an opinion that, on most that, things that's the tricky thing right because right. so what are you saying you're saying that a lot of these people don't deserve a pay rise now you you could push it to the other end of of the spectrum so it's so yeah, it's. It, I don't know. You're not saying that. No, but it is. The, that that is that is why it is so naughty because yeah, yeah. because you know. So your wife uh, works in education. She does. My, mine's going through a mid career transition. Is is training to be a teacher, and teachers are just really badly paid. Yep. And any teachers out there, I, I feel for you. So you would all. You could all. You you could say that. Oh well, it, this is what COVID sort of showed. It was funny out of all the essential workers. When you list the essential <laughs> yeah, workers. Right. Get rid of uh, all, all the rest of us who really aren't contributing much to society totally. and you get totally. those. They're the ones that get the worst pay. Yeah. Now, yeah. you would say as an econ- economic purist that actually price signals would fix that. If, hey, we don't have enough nurses. Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably because mm-hmm. there's not much incentive. Why You're telling me I have to do these brutal shifts in these yeah. very difficult conditions and I'm going to get paid a pittance for it. And that's, oh, it's a big problem. What do we do? It's like, well, you know, a, a, a pure free marketer would say, well, if we want, we want to stimulate more demand for those, or sorry, more su- supply of, mm-hmm. of of those human resources. Mm-hmm. We should we should pay more for it. Yeah. So it, it's it's a question of, it's for me, it's not so much a question of saying this sector or that deserves or doesn't deserve a pay rise, mm. but it's a make sureing about balancing it so we we have the right people in the right areas that that achieve the overall goals that that, that we want to achieve. Mm. So you're you're right. You know, is 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 it is it a bad idea? Well, not saying you're not saying this, but but are, are there are there challenges to sort of give everyone who belongs to the transport union a little bit more money? Yes, there are. Mm. No one seems to complain when CEO pay goes up ten percent mm. per annum over a compound twenty year period. It's just mm. like mm. It, it's sort of like well, well, how come that doesn't apply either? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that and and that and and I know that one group of people who get a pay rise will actually do a lot more to stimulate the economy than the others for it's just another ivory back scratcher, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's I, I hear what you're saying and it is I've I've got no easy answers and this mm. is economics, mm. you know, dealing in dynamic chaotic systems. It's yeah. it's very 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 difficult. But it's more it's more about um I would argue trying to make sure that we we attract the resources to where they need to be mm-hmm. and away from where they don't need to be. This yeah. is one of the most most ridiculous economic philosophies that are out there. Things like the trickle-down theory and, mm-hmm. you know, refugee, uh, refugees. 
<laughs> on my screen. I read that for some reason. CEOs, you know, sort of saying, you know, <laughs> oh, we don't. It's a really, really bad one. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, if we if we don't pay uh, ten million dollars a year, we won't attract the right talent. I call yep. BS on yep. that. You know, if you're the kind of person who will 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 not bother turning up to work or doing a ju- good job for, for eight million a year. But at 10 million, you're really going to try? Like, yep, come on, yep, yep. give me a break. Yep. Now you talk about someone who's who's working 80 hours a week, overnight mm. shifts, brutal conditions, exposing themselves and their family to health consequences because they're surrounded by sick people. And, you know, it's just like, well, I, 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 I think that we could probably afford and those people not only deserve it because it's the right thing to do, but we actually need to put so, certain incentives to attract more people there because, again, we all benefit as a result of that. You want, you want to fix the, 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 the shortage of Ambos? You want to fix the, 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 the shortage of uh, aid workers or whatever it happens to be? Mm. You need to pay them more. Again, mm. it's just, mm. it's just mm. it's basic economics, right? So I hear your point and I don't disagree with it. It's very, very tricky, but it's, it's, it's not – it's it's more about where you decide to sort of twiddle the knobs. It's not it's not one giant knob that you just say every single person in Australia goes up five percent. It's it's in what sectors, in in what ways, and to what end. That's true. And on a from a from a ideological perspective, from a societal perspective, that's absolutely true. It's also true though that the sheer dollar value earned by those wage earners is more impactful. So if we, I will put fairness aside for a second because I don't disagree for a second with your fairness argument. The reality is if we pay Alan Joyce another $15 million, it'll have bugger all impact on inflation. If we pay every transport worker plus every other union-covered worker 5% more, it is going to hit inflation. And that's that might be unfair, that might be unreasonable, we might want to still fix it anyway, but there are simple realities to that which we can't avoid because the people paying those inflation bills are those workers? This is the problem, right? So, if if and I, I let, I, I'm not going, I'm not making an absolute case here because there are arguments both ways, and there are many, many, as you say, it's a chaotic system. But the reality is, if we pay a large chunk of the workforce, union covered workers, and then non-union workers in those same areas, because it's not just the unions that will get those pay rises; it's all workers in those industries. If things like minimum pay rise or enterprise bargaining agreements go through. That will, that will stoke inflation, whether deservedly or not. And we can't say, well, that's okay. We'll just make the CEOs pay the inflation bill and keep the lettuce prices and the fuel price same for everybody else who deserves more money. That they're, they're not, we don't have those options, right? Like that's not the way the system works because of those very feedback loops. That the, the ugly truth might be that if you could, you could double the pay of every CEO in the country and it wouldn't touch inflation, right? Maseratis might go up $15,000, but no one else cares um, because the demand for those products, they're not going to have that many more lettuces and that much more petrol yeah. and that much more whatever, right? So this, well, this is the this, challenge. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So, the, the, But but I, I guess the, the nuance here is is that the level of wages isn't the only input into the inflation calculus. You know, there, there are all, all kinds of things like productivity is a really mm-hmm. great example. You yes. know, that, that, that's what reduces prices. So there's, there is, yes, are there, are there inflationary risks with some of these things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you don't do it? Well, well <laughs> no, not necessarily. Mm. But also there are other ways to address the problem, yep. you know. So it's just sort of like I, I, I feel as though 
And again, these are the big, these are the big long-term structural questions that no politician ever wants to sort of address, <laughs> exactly. but are the ones that really, really make the difference. Yep, yep. No one wants to stoke inflation unnecessarily. It's bad, yep. bad for all of us. Yep. But, but you know, if, if you're serious about it, there are other things that you can do. And I don't want to pretend for a second this is easy. It's mm-hmm. diabolically mm-hmm. hard and people yes. have a range of opinions on yeah. all of it. But I just, I feel it's a myopic and um, uh, oversimplistic and I know you're not saying this, but potentially no. oversimplistic view just to sort of say this is the only determinant in, into what inflation, therefore we, we, we shouldn't give certain people pay rises. I'm not, I'm not saying for a second they shouldn't have the pay rises, by the way. I'm simply making the point that if and when they go through, we can't expect that, as you say, all things being equal, which they not, need not be, but they probably will be, that that solves the problem, right? We're not helping... A, and again, and this is the thing, right? So go back to the early 80s. This is the unions and a Labor government agreeing to pause wage rises to make sure that inflation was managed because they knew this was going to happen. So that's, I think that's, there, you're absolutely right. There are plenty of alternatives and there would have been other decisions taken at the time or not taken at the time to deal with this in a whole lot of different ways. And there were um, floating the dollar, opening up the economy, reducing tariffs. Those productivity things were absolutely part of the then government's approach to modernising the economy. So that's absolutely true. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, when a Labor government and unions agree that, hey, we've got to be careful here because if we get this out, if we get this wrong, we go to hell in a handbasket. There is some there is some echo of that 40 years later, almost literally 40 years later, when we look at the current decisions around inflation and, uh, and wage rises and say, this will be an ugly feedback loop. And a pay rise doesn't solve the problem because it, does, it feeds into further inflation. I say, other things we could and should do, I completely agree with you, but I'm also mindful that back in the day, the unions and labour agreed at that time, this was an issue that we had to stop. And they did. They literally agreed not to put wage increases through specifically because they were trying to manage the impact of inflation. And it worked. Potentially what was different then to what is now is that there was a there was a scenario of, of a lot of uh, wage increases, whereas there hasn't actually been any real wage increases. In fact, wage declines in a lot of these kinds of sectors. Yeah. So it, yeah. I think you'd be right if we're just like year after year after year giving raise after raise after raise. That's a, that's a difference. But when it's sort of like maybe a raise just to help us catch up a little bit to, mm-hmm. to where how we've been falling behind, it, it's a little bit different. Yeah. And it's a spectrum as well. So, you know, yeah, is, a, totally. is, a, is a 3% pay rise going to destroy the economy? Probably not. Uh, is a twenty percent pay rise going to? Yes, it probably would. So you know, there's there's where where the sweet spot is. Again, that's mm-hmm. that's the difficult spot. But um, I'm I'm very much for wage increases for 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 some some sectors of of the economy for for purely again self interested reasons. Even though I don't work, <laughs> even though I don't work there. My mother-in-law went into hospital recently. It's just it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't think all of us, and I put include myself here. We're so. There's so many of these issues are invisible to us in our own personal lives until you sort yep. of experience it. Yeah. You know, whether you're unfortunate enough to experience domestic violence issues or mm-hmm. all of these kinds of, just sort of, it's this thing that's in the news, but it's not very, and then you experience it and then you realise how big an issue it, it, it yeah. potentially is. Like, like people in Lismore are now finding out, yep. you know, yep. it's yep. sort of these, all of these things have absolutely, they have, they have very, very, very real uh, uh, consequences, mm-hmm. and and if if helping to address these kinds of things, even if it's not directly impactful to you today, is potentially they, again. There's all e- economics is a study of trade offs, really, yep. and th- there's probably an even an argument to sort of say that you know what, a little bit of extra inflation is probably worth that worth it if it if it has a 
bigger uh, benefit elsewhere as well. But these are huge issues. You know what? The sm- people far, far smarter and well-credentialed than us <laughs> have been debating this for decades. So we're not, we're, we're not going to nut this one out in a podcast. Really and there'll not. be people who are really into these subjects who'll be screaming at, at, at their uh, device right now as, as a consequence of it. But yeah, They're it, podcast it, machines, I'll have you know, Andrew. It's, <laughs> the short answer is it's... It's complicated. In fact, anyone, as a general rule, whenever I'm reading, listening to whatever economic mm. commentary, as soon as people start talking in terms of certainties, and I'm aware of the fact that I've made various remarks in the podcast so far <laughs> that it sort of seemed like very- And the other people get it wrong. Your, your yeah. certainties are right. Other people's certainties are wrong. We've all got to be careful with it because you, everything has an, a desired impact and then an unintended consequence <laughs> as well. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. That is probably that is probably the uh, the best way, mate. Uh, for what we would hope would be a half hour conversation, we've gone for almost exactly an hour. Um, so I'm going to quickly just summarise uh, the last three months, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll jump. You can jump in as well. Uh, just just mindful that we're, again, we're recording this on the 31st of March. Uh, depending on how the market closes today, we'll be up something like six percent for the month of March. I looked at the numbers in the tech industry only Tuesday, I think, this week. Mm. Tech was up 11.3% over the previous month. So I assume that's 28 days, 30 days, whatever it is, however they calculated since the same date last month. Mm. Um, And as a result, the ASX is actually going to be up for the year. We're going to have a positive quarter. We're going to be up for the year. Uh, What Ukraine, what floods, what storms... uh, it's 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 a heck of a thing. Um, I, I had some people. I've covered this a little bit in the past. Say, you know, how can the market be up when all these things horrible are going wrong in the world? Um, particularly the, from the depths of kind of the Jan Feb lows. And I, my answer generally is, you know what? Most of the companies in the ASX are making more money now than they were three months ago. That's kind of the point. And for all of the macro stuff that we want to pretend counts, and we've just spent our talking about macro stuff, um, but on a company-by-company level, and then when you aggregate that, Woolies isn't selling any fewer groceries because there's a war in Ukraine. BHP is probably making more money because of the war in Ukraine. Certainly the oil drillers are. Um, you know, IAG isn't selling any fuel policies, even if the, the, the claims they're going to pay have to be big this time around. The market's looking through that and saying, well, as long as they price their policies accordingly then there's no meaningful impact on their long-term profitability. Uh, the tech companies we've talked about plenty of times over the last few months um, continue to try and do their thing and, and are growing. They're showing up more customers. Uh, my, my argument, generally speaking, is that more often than not, these sort of gains, despite the worst of times, tend to be because we simply overreacted in the first place. The falls themselves were overdone. So coming back to some sort of more normal reality is just the recovery of the oh, yeah, yeah, we did actually overdo that a little bit. Um, rather than, and by the way, same happens when there's booms and we fall from that. It's like, well, why have we fallen? You know, is the market worth less? Probably not. It's probably wasn't worth that much in the first place. So, mm. you know, it, it's some, we, we, we think the past is reality and we have to judge today in the context of the past, some sort of absolute past. And it is reality. It was an absolute number. But often it's the case that, you know, this actually can be more reasonable and more normal and more proper and more appropriate than some past number, too high or too low as it might have been because of those circumstances. Am I, am I right or wrong? No, so you, you can prove any point you like on the share market. Um, <laughs> any point you like because there's so you'll many companies. You, you'll always find an example yep, of yep, it. Yep. You know, so I've, I, there was a while there that people were sort of saying, <laughs> oh, you know, so long-term investing is meant to be good. Well, if I put all my money in the market in, you know, the yeah. end of 2007, yeah. you know, it would have taken 10 years for me to get my money back and that's long-term and look how terrible it is. And it's like, yeah. 
Well, yeah, but that's like me saying if I had bought at the absolute depths in two thousand and nine, yeah, right. then it's one. So you 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 have you you have to look at these lines of best fit. I, yeah. I really think. Yeah. And I I, I got to tell you, the older I get, the more I just my eyes roll when people talk about the quarter <laughs> we had. I, like, what's the yeah. difference? It yeah. means it means nothing. Yeah. You know, did were you really buying shares because you thought we were going to have a good quarter? Yeah. And even to your point that oh, I, I felt as though things were overdone, and that that that's speculation. And, mm. and good luck to you if you can do it. Never met anyone who could, but good luck mm. to you if, mm. if you mm. if you are that person that can do it. Um, I just I just think it's all it's all meaningless. Um, uh, yeah, is is the market too high? Has it gone up too much? And I, I I don't know, but I do know that it will, on average, pretty much generally track the underlying business performance. And you know, that's that's the that's the thing that counts. You you will absolutely get, and this is why it's it's so easy to say. I know how easy this is to say. But it's so difficult to do. It's sort of like <laughs> yeah, right. That, that is that is that is why when everyone's freaking out and markets are plummeting, it's actually a wonderful thing for investors. Yeah, yeah. And it's also why when things are booming and every idiot who touches anything makes a fortune dollars that you, <laughs> make, makes a million dollars, you, you've you've got to actually be a little bit cautious and nervous because yeah, yeah. you know the pen, the pendulum always swings back towards the middle and then overshoots forever mm. and mm. in so many different things. So I, I, I know you're just, you're making the point because it's interesting. It's in the headlines. Hey, you know, look at, look where the market is now. And it's just mm. like, mm. yeah, but, yeah, but that, it's interesting because we were choosing an interesting starting point to measure from. Yep. If I was to say, well, I'm going to choose 1994 as my starting point, you yep. would say, ah, oh, turns out that it's sort of compounded about 10% per year. And that, that was the same yesterday and last year and the year before that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of meaningless. And, and, and it's, it's noteworthy, I suppose, in certain, mm-hmm. certain um, contexts. But, but at the same time, it's just sort of we're missing the forest for the trees by, by obsessing. And I know you're not, but, mm-hmm. but so much of the, the market commentary is obsessed over these kinds of things. Like what difference does it matter, guys? Like honestly – you know, it's like saying, oh, it's rained heaps the last week and then inferring something about what that means, what the weather's going to be like for the next, you know, <laughs> yeah, 10 years. That's right. What do you mean it's going to be summer soon? It's been freezing this week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly <laughs> the same kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, we, in, in markets, we talk about the weather when we should be talking about the climates, if I can mm-hmm. use that analogy. Yeah, um, and it's, it's the climate of the market that is far, far more important than whatever the weather happens to be within a certain week, month, quarter, year mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it, it, it's, it is – I think – look, I think that's right. I, I think – I raise it for two reasons. One is if I'm being asked the question, then either A, other people are thinking the same thing or – they're hearing people ask that question. So it's kind of important, right? The, the, the what do they call it? The, um, the storyline, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway. Narrative. Uh, narrative, thank you. The narrative they hear is exactly that, right? How's the market done? Well, I guess I should care because someone's asking the question and answering it in the papers or the news or whatever. So it's, you know what I mean? It's one of those things because it's, because it's available, the availability bias probably to some degree, right? Because it's available, I guess I should care about it because other people are saying I should care about it or somehow it's noteworthy that I should talk about it. So that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of part of it. The other is that I think, mate, I, I, I think we have the benefit of long histories uh, and, and probably we've learned to take some punches. Um, uh, you know, some of the declines in tech, we've talked about the, our own personal losses and, and I've certainly talked about the Motley Fool scorecard losses and I know our listeners are, are feeling some of those losses as well, um, whether or not they've listened to our advice or just pick their own stocks. Uh, and it, and it's, it, is, it just eats away at you, right? It eats away at you. The market's down, the market's down, the market's down. And then, well, why is it up? And, and trying to, trying to d- divine the reasons, and I think you've, you've beautifully addressed it. We try and address it semi-regularly, so it's not new news. 
But that very idea of like trying to make sense of it, as soon as you start to try and make sense of it, that's almost the problem, right? It's almost mm. the point of like, mm. so why dot, dot, dot? Um, because it does, because in the short term things happen, as you say, weather versus climate, it's a, it's a great example. Um, there are, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> probably too great actually because in both cases things are going higher uh, over time uh, <laughs> and pro- probably incontrovertibly unless we do something about one of them at least. Um but uh, yeah, it, it's it's worth talking about because people, you know, we we have the questions, we have the comments, we hear the concerns of, you told me to buy shares at X, now they're down, or I bought shares at X, now they're down. What do I do? What do I think? What should I do differently? Does this make sense? What is the market telling me? It's a natural, and again, I know I say this all the time, mate, but can I tell you the number of times I get asked about this weekly from mm. professionals and amateurs alike of, so what should I do now? Because X has just happened, what should I do? Mm. And it's a really natural, normal response, right? That's why people ask the question. They're not stupid. They're just, our, our brains aren't made to deal with investing. We're just not. Like evolutionarily, we, it, it's a learned skill. And not only a learned skill, we actually have to shut off parts of our brain that otherwise would serve us beautifully in almost every other facet of life, right? The car's about to crash. Don't worry, it'll, it'll, it'll drive again after we finish crashing. What do you mean? You know, it's that kind of idea. Or, you know, the lion's coming. Yeah, I know. And look, you'll eat your toe, but it'll grow back and it'll be fine eventually. It's like, <laughs> it'll grow back. you mean? You know, <laughs> like there's very, few, there's very few other things in human life where we say, here's a big loss coming or I'm enduring it, but over time it'll be fine. It'll be better than you started. Yeah. It just doesn't happen very often. Even you get sick in life, right? You don't return to a better health than when you started before you got sick. You're mm. in the same sort of level of health, right? Again, generally mm. speaking, it's just a really, really screwy investing is weird like it's just fundamentally basically weird uh and i just you know it's important that i think we address some of these things from time to time oh it, it is but it, 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 it the message unfortunately or fortunately <laughs> yeah. is, is always exactly. it is always the same i know Correct. we Correct. always we always talk about it because it always comes up but it's just that that's your edge that's yep. you want to do well in the market i yep. mean i've yep. said it before it's like well do you really think sitting at home in front of your laptop mm. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get better insights and have a uh, better experience than the top paid hedge fund managers in the world <laughs> who just have more data, more access, yeah. supercomputer. You, you're not. You, you're yep. not going to compete on that yep. front. The good news is that actually it's not really an area you need, you need, to, you need to compete. What, yeah. your, what your strength and your advantage and your edge will be as an investor is being the person who has that emotional fortitude. Mm-hmm. And, and not everyone's cut out for it. It's just yep. biologically how, how some people are built. But that, that's Buffett's skills. You know, you talk about, is he oh, smart? Totally. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of people who are smart as Buffett. Yep. Plenty of people who are smarter than Buffett. Yep. But that's that's not his edge. It's, he's just he's got that equanimity to, to sort of shrug when these things happen and go. Well, maybe I'll. It, the, if you can do a very ordinary thing consistently, when mm-hmm. everyone else around you is losing, you, you're just almost guaranteed to make ridiculous yep. sums of money over a very long period of time. Yep. You're just gonna you're just gonna go through very challenging periods. You're gonna look like an idiot for long periods of time, and most people can't. And that's why. And that is why mm-hmm. most people don't outperform the market. You know, I've said, I'd use myself as an example. I've had a horrible run over the last 12 months. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really care. It's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm doing very, very well overall. And I expect mm-hmm. when I look back in 10 years again, no, 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 let me clarify no, here. No. It's not because I'm, a, I'm really not a genius. God, I make some stupid mistakes again and again and again. <laughs> but, but it's just doing the big things simply and doing them yep. right and just being consistent and not being knocked out by all of this noise. It's just, uh, it's very, very, very powerful. And, and I think the first step with investing is really, know thyself and understanding yep. that if, if you're not built that way or if you can't train yourself to think that way and there's no no criticism if you can't um, because it's it's not easy to do, then it just really informs the approach that you should take, i.e. 
broad-based ETF, dollar cost yep. average. Yep. It's, you'll do really well and you, and you can avoid all that. If you are someone who can handle all that, now you're the kind of person who might want to start thinking about managing your portfolio directly. But start with that before you dive straight into it because if, if you lack that ability uh, or at least a, an ability to know that that's important and, and work on that area, unfortunately, you're, you're kind of doomed. You know, I, I put it pretty bluntly, and yeah. uh, we, we've seen we've seen really really smart, well credentialed PhD Nobel laureates just do terrible, absolutely terrible in the market because they lack that one characteristic. So we can't we can't emphasize it enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know we'll mention it a hundred times before the year. <laughs> yeah. And it still won't be enough, which is yeah. which is exactly the point. Even if it feels like here's the thing, if if we end up selling broken records, if you're like, yeah, you guys, I know. I'm going to let you a little secret here. That means we're doing our job. Because you know what? If you heard it once, you heard it twice, you heard it three times. Yeah, I know I should. By the time it's like you've heard it so many bloody times that you can hear our voices in your head when you are investing, we've actually done you a service. Believe it or not, believe it or not, having my head in your he- my voice in your head is doing you a service because uh, we hope it'll at least remind you when things are tough, things are difficult, or you're simply not sure. Um, some of these messages, I hope, I hope by sheer force of repetition. If, if, if I was smarter, if I was more eloquent, uh, it wouldn't be repetition. It'd be different or it'd be unusual or it'd be so beautifully said. You know, I only need to hear it once and it'd stay with you for life. I'm not that eloquent. I'm not that smart. So I'm going to go with the blunt force trauma of doing it over and over again. <laughs> but in in, uh, in that vein, we will finish up the podcast because we'll do it over and over again on Sunday. Will you come back for a mailbag episode, Ray? Yeah, why not? You bet. <laughs> All right. Make sure you do send us your mailbag questions. I've said already, we're going to be off for a couple of weeks. We're pre-recording some episodes. Hit us up, info at fool.com.au. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow Andrew at sage underscore Simeon or at strawmaninvest. You can follow me. And if you're on Twitter or Facebook or Insta and you want to send us messages there, um, send them to my account. Follow me at TMFScottP on Twitter or Instagram. Follow The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU on Twitter and Insta. If you're on Facebook, go to uh, facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. You can DM us on any of those platforms and we'll make sure your questions get answered. Just follow us for fun. If you want to run down to the budget, have a look. If you're uh, politically sensitive, don't do that because, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do favours for pollies. I just call it as I see it. I can be wrong, but I just I just call it as I say it. So you'll you'll uh, you'll be stuck with a decent number of um, of, of random and uh, hopefully interesting informed tweets. But they won't always make you happy. Put it that way. Well, the beauty is of social media. If you disagree, you can get into a big Twitter argument. Never, everyone loves that. So. <laughs> you can. One of the um, really I wish I should stop, but I'm not going to. Uh, I, I follow our local RSL branch. Uh, my old man was the president back in the day, and. Uh, they, they have I, I'm sure the graphic's not there I'll show you no it's not there I've seen it elsewhere is the uh, the combat ribbons the you know, key, keyboard the combat keyboard ribbon and the, uh, the, the you know the, the commenter commenter medallion and you know all that kind of stuff but um, it's, it's a pretty funny idea but it's absolutely true mate yeah right you can spend countless hours you can waste countless hours on social media arguing with people who have eggs or you know whatever as their, as their profile photos so good luck with that <laughs> mate uh, see you Sunday cheers full on The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.